This is the Bible Book Club, where each episode we dive deep into the only book written 2,000 years ago that can still change your life today. Welcome to the club! In episode 8, we were discussing one last type of ritual purity. That is the purity for bodily fluids, including fluids from disease and fluids from the reproductive body parts. I feel so goofy talking about bodily fluids I know. on the Bible <laughs> Book Club. You it's can like, do it. You can do it. It's going to get worse next week. Oh my I goodness. Apologize. What do you see what we're talking about Dear next listener, week? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just I, I really did consider how right else to, to say point. that. Bodily fluids. Yeah. But anyway, none of this is meant to mean that sex is not good or that having children is not good. It's just that the loss of bodily fluids was just a part of normal life, and it's associated with life or death, mortality, something that God or his holy tabernacle could not come into contact with because it's unholy. And therefore, you should abstain in that time. You would have to abstain from going to the tabernacle as a result if you came into contact. We also talked about the greater purpose for understanding and meaning of all this purity talk and the need for cleansing in Leviticus, which is really what the whole book is about. And there's just one purpose. Jesus is our ultimate impurity cleanse. It's all pointing to Jesus. That's mm-hmm. the whole point of this whole book, the Bible. And that's why we study it today. It's like three-year-old Sunday school. And the answer is Jesus. Yeah. And <laughs> so everything. Paul states that really clearly in Ephesians 5, where he says that Christ gave himself up for us to make us holy, cleansing us by the washing with water through the word. All right, so let's talk about chapter 16. We have reached the apex, the very heart of Leviticus. In fact, many describe this next chapter as the inner sanctum of the entire Torah, which you know is the first five books of the Bible. It is holy. We are on holy ground. And remember, the central theme of Leviticus is that God is holy. And that the space around God, where he dwells, the tabernacle must also be holy. So where are we in Leviticus? Our outline of Leviticus resembles a pyramid, remember? And we have this again in the show notes if you haven't looked at it before, but you really should look at it because it will help you remember this unknown book that so many of us don't remember, know, and it'll help you remember it. So we have scaled so far in our journey through Leviticus up the left side of the pyramid of our outline, working our way from ritual to priesthood to purity. We are at the top of the pyramid at the Day of Atonement, after which, starting next week, we will descend in the opposite order down the pyramid, going from purity to priesthood and ending as we start in a ritual. Remember, they kind of mirror each other. For a visual of this outline, go back and look at our chart so that you never forget what we discussed because you may never study it again. All right, before we dive in to this Day of Atonement, I want to define atonement because it is often in church and other places called other things. And that at first has been very confusing to me as I've read commentaries, like what exactly are they saying? They're all saying atonement. So let's just study a little bit of the history of the word. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word most used was kafar, 
which originally meant cover. Now, in the Oxford English Dictionary, atonement originally was defined as at dash one dash meant. It was kind of like a sentence at one meant and referred to the reconciliation of estranged parties. So it was the coming together, the at one of two people. Mm. Now, as time passed, atonement became almost entirely a theological word referring to the broken relationship between God and man. So it atoned for that broken relationship. Makes sense so far? Theologians today use it to mean several things. Reconciliation, propitiation, and expiation. Now, those are big words. Okay, they are. And you hear them sometimes, and that's why I brought them up. I've literally never heard the word propitiation. Okay, you got to read the commentaries. So, (laughs) it's a mouthful um, that, when used interchangeably, drives me crazy because I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? You got to go back and figure it out. So, reconciliation is easy. It is the restoration of a relationship. We covered that. Now, propitiation is actually considered a more accurate translation of the Greek and Hebrew words for atonement. It means to turn away the wrath of God, which does also make sense because this is exactly what the sacrifices did. They turned away the wrath of God. And because he is holy, he has to judge sin. Therefore, he has wrath. The sacrifices were the substitution for the sin of the people. So again, it makes sense. Yeah, it does. It makes it's, sense. It's a little deep, bit deeper than just um, atonement. Now, expiation is to make amends or reparation for wrong. So it's kind of like restitution is the word we use today. Correct. Correct. So altogether, atonement means to make amends for a wrong, to turn away God's wrath, and to restore the relationship with him. You got a picture? It's all of those things. To make amends for the wrong, to turn away God's wrath, and to restore the relationship with him. And in that order, it kind of makes sense. Pictorially, as the Old Testament would just say, it covers. Because see, the atonement cover did all of that. It made amends for the wrong when when it's offered. We're going to get into it, but you'll see it did all of that. Ironically to me, God's got them covered. That's what I had to say. The whole thing is about God's got them covered. He provided the way for all of this atonement. He provided the way and for them to make amends for the wrong, to turn away his wrath, and to restore the relationship with him. All right. Now, that's our definition for atonement. Now, let me tell you, the day of atonement is important for two reasons. One reason for Israel and one reason for all mankind. This is the only sacrifice ritual ceremony that gets a whole chapter. Big deal. The first reason it is important is for Israel. It was the one day of the year that all sin was forgiven and that the tabernacle was cleansed and their sin was removed and their relationship with God had a clean slate. Remember, it sounds a lot like what the Jewish people still celebrate today, Yom Kippur, their one day of the year that they do atonement for. It is Yom Kippur. Oh, well, see, I'm half Jewish. so that's You know, exactly. This is, you know, up until this point, we've covered a lot of sacrifices that covered a sin that someone would come forward for or something like that. This is for the entire nation, wipes away every sin, whether they had remembered it or not. All right. The biblical name for the Day of Atonement is Yom HaKippurim, and today it's called Yom Kippur. So still celebrated today. The second reason the Day of Atonement is so important is for all mankind. This day was a giant step forward toward God's ultimate plan for all of us. All right, track this with me. We've talked about this once before. I can't remember what episode. It was way before even Leviticus, I 
thing. But God throughout the Bible so far has been building this plan for man's ultimate redemption. In Genesis 3, remember, there was a sacrifice of one animal or one person when God sacrificed animals and covered Adam and Eve with the animal skin. One animal, one person. Then we move to Exodus 12, where in the Passover, we had one animal, the lamb, for one family. So we've moved from one person to one family. God passed over every family with the blood of the lamb over the door. Well, here in Leviticus, it's going to be one animal, one goat for an entire nation. God's going to provide the way for Israel's atonement. Now, in John 1.29, the one, not an animal, is going to be sacrificed for the entire world. God sends his son to save the world. So this is his ultimate plan. We are decreasing, you'll be so happy to know, in the amount of bloodshed to cover people's sins. So just like when you were talking about the fact that the sacrifice does those three SAT words that you brought up, the reconciliation, the propitiation, which is turning away the wrath of God, and then the expiation, which is making amends for the wrong. Mm -hmm. Jesus does that as opposed to, Jesus does that for you today, as opposed to still having to do this sacrifice of blood. Yes. And he doesn't just do it for one person or one family or one nation. He does it for the world. But it's also really good for people who like to know their why behind things. You know, you invite someone to church and then there's an altar call and they give their life to Jesus. But to really appreciate the reason that we need to do that, you kind of do need to understand what's going on here in Leviticus. Oh, we are going to get to that at the end of today. It is so, I am so happy we're doing Leviticus. I've studied before, but not like this. It's all being cemented in my head a bit more. And I hope it is for the listeners too, because it is really a fascinating book that tells us a lot about today. All right. The Day of Atonement. Let's set the scene for this chapter. This is the Super Bowl of Sacrifices. Everyone who can attends. Obviously, if you were unclean, you had a disease or something like that, you wouldn't be able to. But it's a big deal. The sacrifice on the Day of Atonement was for all the sins of Israel, as I said, even then those unknown. Additionally, the tabernacle, so if you can think of this, which had become contaminated throughout the year, people trekking in with all their sins, all this stuff happening. So it had been contaminated all year um, with all those sins being tracked in is also going to be purified. So this is going to cleanse people, cleanse the tabernacle. It's like a clean slate. This happened only once a year. It was the only time, the only time when anyone went into the most holy place. All the other sacrifices were happening in the holy place, not the most holy place. And only the high priest could go in. Why? Because this is where the presence of the Lord resided. Remember in Exodus, all the description we read about the tabernacle and the furnishings. The ark is is located in the most holy place. And this was the most precious piece of furniture. It is a wooden box about a yard long. Inside are the stone tablets. And later we're going to add some manna and a couple other things. On top is the gold atonement cover, also called mercy seat. On each end facing out, this is the cover, are winged cherubim. And so their wings kind of come up and point inward. Almost They almost touch over that atonement cover. And and above and between the wings is where God dwelt. So he hovered in a cloud over the atonement cover. So think about this. God is over the cover, looking down between the wings. 
and he sees the gold atonement cover, and under the cover is the law, the law that Israel is always breaking. On this day, the day of atonement, the blood is going to be sprinkled on the atonement cover. So when God looks down between the wings, he sees the blood of the sacrifice covering the broken law and atoning for all that sin. And by covering, remember, I mean reconciled, propitiated, and expiated. Okay, starting in chapter 16, these are the day of atonement instructions for Aaron. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Now, if you don't remember what the tabernacle looks like, we do have a diagram we'll put in the show notes again from Exodus because there are rooms within rooms and the most inner room is this most holy place. Now, it appears from this comment that our story is picking up from chapter 10, episode five, where Aaron's sons used unauthorized fire in their priestly service and died because of it. And here God is, the Lord The Lord is reminding Moses to uh, remind Aaron that he's got to get this right. It is very clear that this is an invitation to one person only. No plus one and for one day only. Normally, the tabernacle was a super busy place with lots of priests in the outer court, in the holy place and the outer court, but not ever in the most holy place. On this day, the tabernacle would have been solemn and quiet and foreshadowing the work of Christ's sacrifice, which one man alone was qualified to do. Jesus. Yeah. Continuing in verse three, this is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. All right, let me just go through the offerings so you can track with me through the ceremony. First of all, he's not putting on the robe with the bells or any, you know, the the one with the jewels. This is just pure white, apparently, and, and very simple. Aaron is going to offer five animals total, two purification or sin offerings, a bull for himself, because to officiate as high priest in the sacrifice, Aaron must first atone for his own sin, and then a goat for the nation. So those two, the bull and the goat, will be purification or sin offerings. Then he's going to do one unique live offering of another goat. And then at the end, he's going to do two burnt offerings, a ram for himself and a ram for Israel. So five animals all together, and that's the lay of the land. If you are unfamiliar with all of the offerings and their meaning, I just mentioned the purification of sin offering, the burnt offering. We have a chart from a previous episode in the show notes that goes through all of them. Continuing in verse six, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. 
he is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So I titled this episode The Original Scapegoat because there you have it. You can't tell me that it ever appeared in life before this. But there's actually a lot of discussion about the interpretation of this word. There are three possible interpretations for the meaning of the term scapegoat, which in Hebrew is azazel. Now, it may mean the goat that departs, or hence the scapegoat translation, which obviously is the most popular because that's how it reads in the Bible. However, there is some confusion about the word because it is capitalized in Hebrew, implying that it is a proper noun. It may refer to the place where the animal is dispatched or the precipice. So some believe that it may have been a mountain that the goat was sent to. It may have been the proper name of a demon inhabiting the desert or Azazel. Now, some people think that because in the in the next chapter, we're going to read something about demon goats and worshiping to them. Most people have accepted the scapegoat interpretation. However, there is a good sized camp that believes the live goat and all the sin placed upon it were being sent back to the devil, which kind of is a nice little picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because they're going to put the sins on the goat and send him back. Like, here you go, devil, it's all yours. All right. So first, Aaron must atone for himself. Verse 11. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take the censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. Okay, so let's try to imagine this whole thing. You've got this day of atonement. Everyone in the camp is gathered outside the tabernacle, kind of just waiting. And let's picture all the animals just kind of laid out there in the outer court. They're all ready. He's cast lots for the goats. And now it's time to begin. So Aaron goes first behind the veil to the most holy place with incense. The incense protected Aaron from being able to see the presence of the Lord above the ark and the atonement cover, because to see this would kill him. So he goes first with the incense. Then he goes with some of the bull's blood and he sprinkles it on and in front of the atonement cover, covering from God's view, the law, an emblem of Israel's sin that lay within the ark. So remember, this is the first sprinkling on that atonement cover. Now, this bull blood is only to atone for Aaron's sin. He has to be fully cleansed before he can offer for the nation. Then Aaron goes out for the goat. Now, next are the instructions for the nation's atonement. Verse 15, he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanliness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. So remember, 
the sins of the nation have made the tabernacle dirty. The, the people are dirty. The tabernacle is di- dirty. So Aaron kills the goat and goes back into the most holy place and sprinkles the goat's blood on and in front of the atonement cover. Again, covering from God's view that broken law, that emblem of Israel's sin that lay within the ark. The blood cleansed the most holy place. Next, Aaron goes out to the altar in the holy place, not the most holy place. In the holy place, the place where all the sacrifices throughout the year take place. And he repeats the purification process with blood from the bull and the goat. So he's moving out. He he kind of cleansed the most holy place. Now he's going out and he's going to cleanse the holy place in the same way. And when you said that all the people are outside basically waiting and watching him do that. They can't see him. Right. They can't see what's going on inside. Mm-hmm. And there's hundreds of thousands, right? There's Oh, yeah. How, two how, million. How, there's two million is the population right. at this point. Okay. So there's two million people out there. So if you're in the back, you have no shot. So you just kind of have to trust that this is what's going yeah, on. Yeah, nobody there. sees anything really, but they know. Now, I will say it's kind of interesting, and I, I think I brought this up in a later place, but I'll say it here. Normally, when you bring an animal to be sacrificed for your sin, you know, they take the animal from you and they bring it into the thing and you really can't see anyway, but you hear the priest because remember, we talked about this. What has he got all sewn onto the bottom of his robe? The his bells. tunic. The bells. The bells. Yeah. So they can hear him walking back and doing the sacrifice. Today, no bells. He's got no bells on. It's completely silent. He only has that white linen. Um, so it's a little bit different. They're just out there in silence, praying and worshiping as they're, as a nation, their their sin is being cleansed. Two million people in Solemn. silence. Yeah. Praying. Yeah. Except for the babies. I'm sure they're crying. That's probably a cool experience. Yeah. This, this is a big deal. Like I said, yeah. this is the reverse of our Super Bowl, which is pretty rowdy. All but. right. I'm going to continue on in verse 16. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanliness of the Israelites. At this point, I'm sure Aaron breathes a sigh of relief because he has survived and done it well. And the entire tabernacle is clean, the most holy and the holy place. It's now been purified from a year's worth of sin, and he will not do this again until next year. This next part of the Day of Atonement was something they could see and hear. It it was a beautiful picture for them. At this point, with the second goat in hand, Aaron would have stood at the entrance to the tabernacle and addressed the people. This was a public confession of sin for the hearing of the nation. Verse 20. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness." 
Now, in the first goat sacrifice, Aaron atoned for the people's sin and purified the tabernacle, God's holy place, from the sin. But sin has a lasting effect, and that effect creates a burden, a burden that can live on in the heart of the person who either it was against or who actually committed the sin. Think of how just one little cruel word on the playground or to your spouse can live on long after the speaker has asked for forgiveness. It may still whisper to you, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're not good enough. Sin has a lasting effect that can trap us and hold us in bondage. And the guilt from that sin can live on too. So on this day of atonement, two goats were offered. The one, a sacrifice for sins committed. And this one, the live one, is to take the burden or guilt of sin away from the people forever. It was a great visual for all those people who are watching. Imagine them as they stood there watching the goat carry their sin away, realizing as the goat grew smaller and smaller that their sins from the past year no longer had a hold on them. They had been forgiven. Now, Jesus did for us what both of the goats did for the Israelites. He died for our sin and he took away our sin. John the Baptist said of Jesus in John one twenty nine, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the the sins of the world. And now you know why he said that. Yeah. I never knew before that that's exactly where it comes from, Leviticus. Totally. They looked forward to watching that goat. And it's interesting because um, in in much later in Israel's history, when Jerusalem was actually a kingdom and a city and what have you, they literally led the goat and pushed it off a cliff so it couldn't (laughs) come back. And I have, they don't know why they kind of changed that. (laughs) Maybe it's because there were so many people that the goat would be found in the wilderness. It was full of people by that time i don't or know like a week later it would but become so wandering taking, through the camp and the yeah. people would be like oh no our sins they're back they're not taking any chances there's a lot of folklore and different rule changes like apparently they tied a scarf around the the um the goat and it was red but as he went away it became white and if it didn't become white they were worried i don't know there's all kinds of things that developed out of this but now that the atonement for this day is complete on our day of atonement it is time for the burnt offering offerings, which were an offering of prayer or praise. And again, if you want to read about the offerings, we've covered them in other episodes. Um, We'll have it in the show notes. But the burnt offering was a normal daily offering. Therefore, um, a change of clothes is in order. We're going to put those bells back on. I got this really funny picture in my head. <laughs> like the first time. They pushed the like goat the off the guy, cliff. The guy was there and he knew it was his goat that they used. And then he looked over and the goat was like, nah. And he's like, ah! <laughs> oh my gosh. He comes, he comes back to the thing. He's like, it came back. He's like, get off the cliff! <laughs> I wouldn't want to be the goat man. You had to make sure that goat didn't come back. You'd be in so much trouble if that goat came back. I also wonder if they kind of paraded it through the two million people. Oh, no, they, they couldn't it. see it. Anything else going on, they could I, I walk picture, it through down aisles. I picture it, the sea parting, the sea of people, the red sea of people parting at, to watch this goat walk away. I, I picture the children running to the edges. I, I picture the children running to the edges of the camp to make, you know, to watch the goat go away. Like, gosh, I'm so glad that's goat's, goat's going away because I hit my sister a lot last year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be in trouble for that anymore. 
All right. Let's keep going. Yeah. In verse 23. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of the meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. All right. So it's all complete. The atonement ritual is complete and Israel has renewed relationship with and a dedication to God. But God has a few housekeeping details left for the goat man and the carcass man. Verse 26. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, intestines are to be burned up. The man who burns them up must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. Now, God's final instructions to the Israelites is a chiasm which is an inverted repetition highlighting the importance of what God is about to say. Verse 29, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native born or foreigner residing among you, because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. So God is saying that forever this will be the holiest of holy days. It has a specific day. It falls usually in September, October. They must deny themselves, meaning probably that they fast and probably no sex as that would render them unclean. See the last episode for details on bodily fluids. <laughs> well, they actually, I know the Jews today, they, they deny a lot of things. They oh, do yeah. no work. They cannot cook. They can't no use electricity. Yep. It, you know, if they're really following in the traditional way. Exactly. That no work. This is a Sabbath of complete rest. All were to participate, ethnic Israelites and resident aliens. And I didn't realize that this, I, I read about this a little bit, that there were ethnic Israelites and those were the ones who were going to receive land. They were written, you know, through the genealogies. But there were also some resident aliens who had been kind of grafted in and they could partake of all the, these rituals. They were considered citizens they just were not going to get that land grant that was part of the promise of Abraham's seed. So this day will be observed every year for generations to come, and Aaron will pass down the responsibility as high priest. Verse 32, the priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all the members of the community. This is to be the lasting order ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites, and it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. So now you have read and been to the inner sanctum of the Torah and Leviticus, the most holy of holy days. And if, if, if you can remember anything, remember what atonement means and that there were five animals. But even more than that, the day of atonement's meaning and purpose is also for today. All of what we just learned was good and fine, and hopefully it was understandable to you. But we are New Testament believers. Why would this be important to know? Because without it, how can we even begin to understand the Apostle Paul, the author, 
Paul of more books in the Bible than anyone else. And all 12 of those books are in the New Testament for us. This man, Paul, was a Pharisee educated under the tutelage of Gamaliel. You can't read more than a chapter or two of any of Paul's books without him referencing the Torah and often the Day of Atonement. In Hebrews 9, the entire chapter is about the Day of Atonement. Listen to this. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna. Aaron's staff that had been budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark are the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Are you picturing everything we covered in Exodus 25 through 39? If not, we have a chart, of course, a drawing, and you can go back and look at it. But everything he just said pertains to everything we just learned in Leviticus. Paul, he can't even help himself from from regurgitating the Torah. He just loves it. He literally stops himself and tries to move on. We can't talk about these things now. But look, he's going to keep talking about them. But don't you think he also did that because he knew that by referencing that, they all knew what he was talking about and it would bring around the point of why Jesus was necessary. Oh, he's going to get to it. He's so smart. He is an attorney laying his case. Continuing in verse 6 of Hebrews 9, when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. There's your Day of Atonement summary right there, Leviticus 16. And then Paul does what only a Pharisee would have known enough to do. He links the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, the Old Way to the New Way. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed, as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. 
When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll in all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Paul transports us from the day of atonement to today, from a human succession of high priests to Christ, the final high priest, from copies of heavenly things that were in the tabernacle to the heavenly things themselves, from a man-made tabernacle to heaven itself, from the remote relationship behind a veil to direct access to God through the Holy Spirit, from repetitive cleansing with the blood of animal sacrifices to the ultimate cleanse through the blood of Christ. Is the study of Leviticus important? Is the study of Hebrews important? What about Romans? What about Ephesians? These are all important, and we won't ever understand those New Testament books unless we go back and study Leviticus. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club! New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.